Good morning, everybody. We should be uh, sufficiently awake now. <laughs> Wonderful uh, time of worship already today. It's just great to be with you. Certainly, uh, Mary Kay and I are excited that we've been invited to come over. And uh, we can only hope that we make a good enough impression to be invited back. So, yes, I'm, I'm encouraging you that way. If you're, if you're visiting with us today, uh, maybe even for the first time, it's great to have you. Uh, today is kind of a win-win for you. Uh, if you enjoy the service today, fantastic. Uh, if you don't enjoy the service today or the sermon today, come back next week because I won't be here. <laughs> I do hope uh, you're visiting today that uh, perhaps I'll get a chance to meet you before we leave. Of course, I do know many, many people. Uh, already this morning, uh, Mary Kay and I have been able to connect with and uh, be able to meet and greet and hug and say hello to many of you that we have known for many years. Uh, Mary Kay and I currently serve in another part of the Los Angeles church. Uh, we used to be called the Central Region. We are now uh, known as the Lifeway Region. Uh, our tagline is Real Life, God's Way. So we're going to talk about that today. But uh, we have the, uh, the interesting uh, sort of uh, uniqueness of being a part of the original mission team, Mary Kay and I, that moved here May 1989, 25 years ago, to start the Los Angeles Church of Christ. So... Uh, It really is uh, fantastic. There were 50 of us, uh, several even among this group, other than Mary Kay and I, Robin Anthony Horton was a part of that group, Chuck and Carol Bray. Uh, there are probably others that I've left out and neglected to mention. Many of you joined shortly after that. And so I have known you literally for decades. I hope that doesn't scare you. But uh, it is important for you to know that, because sometimes I speak and go other places and, uh, you know, as a guest speaker and things, and I don't know very many people there, but I know quite a few of you here, and so if you're not paying attention, I will call you out by name. <laughs> so you need to pay attention today. Actually, uh, a lot of you might know that Mary Kay and I... Uh, had the opportunity to lead the ministry on the West Side from 1992 to 1995. And remarkably enough, even though that's been 19 years ago that we left, there seems to be some of you at least who have a fond memory of our being here. So uh, that is really great. Uh, Mary Kay and I have loved our last 25 years here. Uh, we love the Los Angeles Church. And uh, hopefully today will be another opportunity to encourage another part of the Los Angeles Church, meet brothers and sisters that I don't know. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, if you didn't know, is that I am now a grandfather. Yes. My, uh, my oldest son, Robbie, the, uh, he and his wife, Angela, are in the Santa Clarita ministry, what we call the North Region of the L.A. Church. Uh, they have a six-month-old uh, there, his name is Robert Reese Neeland the Ninth. So uh, now I have to share this. You know, we my dad goes by Bob. He's the sixth. I'm the seventh. I go by Reese. My oldest son Robbie 
there. And so uh, they have decided to call number nine. They've decided to call him Reese. You can't imagine how upsetting that is to me. But uh, we're, uh, we're very excited about being grandparents. Uh, Mary Kay, in case you're wondering, even though I think a lot of people know, Mary Kay is extremely healthy. Um, Mary Kay is uh, extremely youthful. Uh, I married a younger woman. And she keeps, as years go by, she keeps looking even younger. But Mary Kay is excited about uh, being a grandmother. Uh, she's just not excited about being married to a grandfather. But anyway, it's uh, a whole other story there. Well, let's look over in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We've got a few minutes here. I hope that perhaps if you have a Bible, you'll turn with me. If you uh, don't have a Bible, maybe you can look on with somebody that's perhaps sitting nearby. It really is true that those of us who preach, we have nothing of value to say except what comes from God's Word. So we're going to read a part of God's Word today and look at it. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt that perhaps there was something missing in your life? There was a, an emptiness there. Maybe a uh, confusion about your life and where you were going. Maybe you were missing a sense of purpose. No matter how good things were going, you were having a hard time finding joy in your life. For a lot of us here, certainly myself... The reason I decided to become a follower of Jesus is because I was living that life and I discovered a wonderful fellowship just like this where I was able to find fulfillment and joy and purpose and peace and all the things that I've been looking for all my life. I was able to find that in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, I think that as the years have gone by, there have been times when even as a Christian, I have felt stuck spiritually. Perhaps I've even at times been bored with my life, which is really bad because I was preaching most Sundays. But I, you know, this is real life, God's way, okay? Real talk, real talk. But... Even as a Christian, I think, don't answer too quickly, just because maybe you've even been a, a follower of Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years or more. It is possible that even with that, we can feel this nagging sense that something's missing. That we're not where we want to be or should be. Well, there was a letter written some 2,000 years ago. It's going to help us out today. Ephesians chapter 1, actually this is a, a message I'm going to share with you today that I recently shared with my home congregation. Uh, we meet in the Glendale area. Glad to have you any Sunday that you're up in our neck of the woods. But we, the series title is called Be Rich. 
And it's about, and that's what we'll title the sermon this morning, Be Rich. It's about finding true wealth. It's about finding spiritual riches. It's about finding that joy and that peace and that sense of purpose that fulfills us. And so this was just the lesson that I did just a few weeks ago, and so I would share it with you today. Let's begin reading in Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. This letter was written some 30 years after the time of Jesus. Paul, who is a Christian missionary, who's gone all over the world, starting churches in many different places. He's actually been uh, in the faith for about 25 years when he writes this. And one of the places that he had previously ministered was this city of Ephesus. Now, a lot of us might not even know that the city named Ephesus were not for the Bible. Because the city no longer exists today. But in its day, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind, Roman, behind Rome and behind Athens. So it was a very large city, a very significant city, very wealthy, very cosmopolitan, perhaps much like a Los Angeles. So Paul had been there for many years. Now as he writes this, He's about 60 years old. He's single. He's been single for a long time. Perhaps you know the story. He suffered much in many ways. He suffered for his faith. He has been beaten. He has been flogged. He has been imprisoned. He has been uh, stoned and left for dead. All because of his faith. As he's going around the world. And here he is. He's nearing retirement age. And he is currently under house arrest. In prison in Rome. He's waiting to find out whether or not he's going to be executed. Because he has made Jesus Lord of his life. He is under house arrest. Which is perhaps more convenient than a normal prison. But he is chained to a Roman guard. For the purpose of our discussion, we'll just assume it was a smelly Roman guard. <laughs> now, he's writing, and he actually wrote four letters during this time. Ephesians is just one of them. Now, before we go on, I want you to put yourself in that situation. See, this is something I've found out through the years. The best way to get the most out of the Bible is to put yourself as best you can in the situation that you're reading about. To imagine that you're there. That's why the context is very important. That's why some of these details are important. So I can try to imagine that I'm there. And I'm Paul. And I'm 60 years old. And I'm single for a long time. And I'm suffering greatly. And I'm currently in prison. And I'm going to write to some of my friends. Who have become Christians. What are you going to write? What are you going to write? So let's see what Paul writes. Perhaps there's something to learn. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the will of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance, your inheritance, our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's really quite remarkable, isn't it? What's Paul got on his mind? What's he got on his heart in all of the challenges of his life? Can any of you relate to having some significant challenges in your life? You're aging. Your health is not what it used to be. You have less hair than you've ever had. You don't have as much money as you used to have or as you wish you had. You've got challenges. You've got life challenges. Regardless of the persecutions that you may be enduring from people outside the church, you have to deal with all the people in the church. I've said many times, it's not the people outside the church that bother me the most. It's the ones inside the church that bother me. And if you know anything about Paul's life, he had a lot of that too. He had false brothers and sisters and people that gossiped about him and slandered about him and discredited him and talked about him and tried to stir up trouble for him. So what do you got on your mind, Paul? It's quite remarkable. Paul, all Paul says and all Paul talks about is how great God is. You know, the fact that he's a prisoner, that he's in chains for the Lord, he only casually mentions it three different times in the whole rest of the letter. And he never goes into details. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I'm a little bit of a drama queen. Or maybe I should say a drama king. He's going to be mixing up our genders today. Uh, 
by the way, it was mentioned earlier for all the brothers that next Sunday is Mother's Day. I think that there's a lot of women in here who also have mothers. Um, so next Sunday is Mother's Day for your mother as well. Um, we're just trying to just trying to mix it up. Just trying to keep everything keep everything together there. He doesn't mention any of his challenges. Many people, this little section that I read, verse 3 to verse 14, this section of scripture is thought by many to be the most eloquent and powerful description of God that you will find anywhere in the Bible. Something you might not know is that in the original Greek language, this section of scripture is one long sentence. Have you, ever, have you ever talked to somebody who's so excited about something, they just start talking and they don't even pause to take a breath? <laughs> and we know that Paul dictated a lot of his letters. And so the way I envision this is Paul is chained to this Roman guard. He says, okay, he's got, some, he's got one of the brothers there. Gonna take, he says, take a letter for me, okay? We're going to write the Ephesian church now. And so he gets up and he's just excited. He's pacing around. He's dragging this Roman guard with him. <laughs> and he says, we're going to start and we're just going to talk about how fantastic, how wonderful, how incomparably majestic and glorious and great is our God. And he just starts talking. I imagine it that way. If this sentence was being graded by an English teacher, he would be giving a poor grade. But that's really part of the power of it. As I was studying for this lesson, one of the commentators said it this way, and I really liked it. He says, you know, the, the rules of grammar must give way to the wonders of grace. Paul's overflowing. It's a volcanic eruption. It's beautiful poetry. It's a love song. Let me suggest to you that this is what it means to be rich. That no matter what's going on in your life, and no matter how bad it's gotten, and no how many years it's been going on, you have something in your heart for God that allows you to rise above everything around you. Your circumstances don't control you. Your suffering does not defeat you. Your challenges do not overwhelm you. You are rich beyond measure. Have we figured out yet what Paul understands about God? It's not about what God wants from us. It's about what God wants for us. This description of God. I'll let you know in my church... I preached two more sermons on Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, just kind of breaking it down, going through it all. Probably I shouldn't do that today. <laughs> today is a little bit of an overview, but you just look at some of the words, the powerful verbiage. What has God done for us? He has blessed us. He has chosen us. He has determined a plan for our life. He has lavished us. 
We are rich beyond measure. Keen. And in this whole thing, God, or Paul as he writes here, does not give a single command. There are no rules, there are no laws. There's no direction. Now, as he goes through the letter, he's going to get to that. But here is where we all must start. To be rich, we must have God in our hearts. Not just in our minds. Not just in our life. Do you understand the difference? If you're here today, I'm going to assume that that God has a part to play in your life. But do you have God in your heart? You know, I recently had an illustration of how powerful that can be. Some of you might have known that in our part of the church, Dr. Tom Grosh, he and his wife Ann had moved here probably almost 20 years ago to help out with the church like some of you did as well. Tom had fallen on hard times spiritually. He had actually not been a part of the church for many years. Just last year, he was restored, which we were very excited about. But then in January 6th, I'm at home with a bunch of people. We're watching the uh, National College Football Championship game. And I get a phone call that Dr. Tom Grosh while riding his motorcycle home from work that day, had died as a result of a massive heart attack. Early 50s, left behind a wife, three girls in their 20s. And of course we rejoice and are confident of where Tom stands in his spiritual life and where he is with God, yet can you imagine if you're Ann Grosh and your husband suddenly without warning, in the prime of his life really, has been taken away and you've got three daughters in their early 20s that now you're going to have to raise all by yourself. And certainly it's been difficult for Anne and those of us in the ministry have tried to be there for her. But to me it all was summed up. She posted on Facebook. Uh, by the way, Reese and Mary Kay Nealon are very active on Facebook. <laughs> and um, if we're not yet Facebook friends, uh, please send me a friend request. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I do in order to feel good about myself, I, I just try to accumulate as many friends as possible. <laughs> On uh, Facebook, I'm just over 2,000 now, and uh, if you can help me get to 3,000, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel so awesome about myself. I mean, I'm sure with that and God, I mean, I what else, you know? But uh, anyway, yes, stop it, yes. Uh, so, but Ann posts on Facebook. This is within a week after the the funeral. And she posts a picture of her standing on a... She likes to hike, and we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of the message. But she's standing on a peak, and she's got her arms 
spread like this. And she's got this huge smile on her face. And her post was so simple yet so profound. She said, with God, life is worth living. There is the richness that we're trying to find. But you can only find it when you have God in your heart. Not just in your life. And today, I'm hoping if, you, if there's a need there, please be honest with yourself. I don't care if, you, if you've never been a follower of Jesus. I don't care if it's been recently or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. If there's any sense of emptiness in your spiritual or in your life, Here's where you need to look first. Do you have God in your heart? That's where you get rich. This can help you. This can inspire you. Sometimes we need to go backwards in order to go forward. Have you figured that out yet? And perhaps what a lot of us need to do, and what I've needed to do at different times of my life, is go back. Because you're like me, I bet you a lot of you decided to follow Jesus. I can remember where I was, the message, the preacher that was preaching, and the message that was being shared when I first felt God become real and God come into my heart. Not in a weird praying Jesus into your heart way, okay? But God moves, God works, God's the one that's reaching out to us. It's always been that way. And when I finally let God in, and I was in that circumstance, I remember how I felt. Sometimes we need to go backwards we need to go, in order to go forward. We need to go back and find that feeling again. We all start with God. Talking about those of you who made the decision to follow Jesus. But the truth is, Many times we have short attention spans. We quickly lose interest. We move on. We send God to the sidelines and He becomes really for emergencies only. Is there a problem? If there's a problem with your Christianity to the day, if there's a problem with our Christianity today, perhaps it's just because we need more God. Perhaps we need more God, not more church. Now, understand me now, I'm not saying we need less church. And church is in the plan of God too. And the rest of Ephesians plays that out for us. What a blessing. So far, everyone I've met here today, I consider to be a positive blessing in my life. Some of you may disappoint me right after church. But for right now, you look good to me. You're laughing at all the right times. You're saying amen at all the right times. Amen, bro. But we perhaps need more God. Too many of us are disappointed in our faith because we put way too much on the church. Have you figured out we are a church full of sinners? 
if there's anything I have figured out, I got baptized November 8, 1978. All you people down here say, I wasn't even born then, and you got a bad heart. Okay? Bad heart. Just saying. But one thing is, I have figured out. We have always been and we always will be a church of sinners. If you're visiting today and you're a sinner, then you're going to be right at home here. In fact, I would tell you, if you are not a sinner, this is not the church for you. Now, I'm not saying... That we don't take sin seriously, and I'm not saying that we don't grow, and I'm not saying that we don't change, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I mentioned my baptism date, November 8, 1978. Frances Thorne is not here today, but I mentioned that for her because she would be very disappointed uh, if I didn't during the years that I was in the, uh, led the West Side ministry. I mentioned my baptism day almost every Sunday. She found that to be incredibly humorous for some reason. But anyway. We put way too much pressure on each other. Now I'm not saying we don't take seriously how we treat each other and who we are and how we relate. And, boy, I'm just so glad there's grace and forgiveness. From God and you. Right? It seems I have to stop soon. When we don't have God in our heart, and it's not the center of our, the practice of our faith, there are unintended circumstances. There are unintended consequences. It reminds me of my, my favorite commercials these days are the get rid of cable commercials. Yeah. You know the ones I'm talking about? The satellite company. And the one that is my favorite goes like this. It, and they all talk about the unintended consequences. It says, get rid of cable. When your cable goes on the, on the fritz, you get frustrated. When you get frustrated, your daughter imitates you. When your daughter imitates you, she goes to school and she gets kicked out of school. When your daughter gets kicked out of school, she starts hanging out with undesirables. When she starts hanging out with undesirables, she marries an undesirable. And then you get a grandson with a dog collar. Get rid of cable. Don't have a grandson with a dog collar. Mercy. See, there's unintended consequences. When God is not in our heart, the Bible just becomes a book to study, a text to read, verses to memorize. Instead, of an opportunity to listen to the voice of God and to get to know God. If God is not in your heart, prayer becomes a Christian duty. 
it becomes some sort of sacrament that we do. Instead of an opportunity to have a face-to-face conversation with the one and only true and living God. When God is on our heart, church becomes a meeting to attend. Not an opportunity to come together with like-minded folks who all decide we want to encourage each other and help each other to worship the one and only true and living God. What have we all invested in God like Paul did? You know, I am not a rich person. By some standards, not maybe, but not in the not in this country. But I'm pretty sure that if you want to become wealthy, you're going to have to invest some time and some money and some energy. I just keep sitting around waiting to get rich. But sometimes we're like that with God. You need to invest in time, in energy, in the presence of God. This God. The one that Paul seems to know so well. How many of you like to hike? That's very sad to me. I'm just being honest here. I do not like to hike. Thank you. See, I have some brothers and sisters here. I get it. I understand. You hike, and it's great exercise. If you take somebody with you, it's great fellowship. But more than anything, if you hike high enough and long enough, you're going to come to some place where you get this amazing view of God's creation. You can see God in a way that you never saw him ever before. So I get it. I just want to be able to drive there. Okay? So I'm working on that. But spiritually, this is what we need to be doing with our lives. No matter we're just starting on our journey or it's been many, many years, we need to be climbing the mountain of God. Because the view is always better from the top. And none of us have gotten there yet. And we want to be like Paul. And we want to be getting to the end of our life. And we want to be more zealous, more passionate, more full of purpose, more full of just this this joy and zest for life than we've ever been before. So I have an assignment for you. We'll close with this and then I believe I'm supposed to lead a prayer. Is that right, Brian? (laughs) Let the record show Brian Craig has given me permission to pray. (laughs) Song leaders can make your way up. Here's what I would like you to ask you to consider doing. Is that every day for the next week 
you spend time in, with God, you can do other things too, but just read Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And spend some time meditating on who God is. And then at the end of the week, before you get to church next Sunday, I want you to consider this. I want you to write out in your own, your own words, 200 words or less, because that's what Paul wrote. He wrote about 200, 200 words. What God means to you. Let's be a people who are rich. Because we don't just have God in our life. We have God in our hearts. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Paul's example. Thank you for the lesson. It's challenging, I know, for me sure others feel it as well. Thank you for the opportunity by grace to continue to grow. And even if we've fallen or stumbled, that we still have the opportunity to be rich and to have God, to have you in our hearts. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.